We're going to be in Exodus chapter 30 today, and um, uh, I'd actually like to just begin with asking the Lord to direct our steps. Father, as we gather around Your Word and to, to give honor and praise to You, Lord, through through our music and through our prayers and, and also through the teaching of Your Word, we ask, Lord, that You would be glorified through us and in us. We ask that our hearts... Uh, our souls, our minds would be in a fertile place to receive your word of truth today. Uh, Lord, that that seed would would uh, be planted within us and take root and grow to produce the fruit of Christ's likeness in our life. Lord, we, we ask that we would not be just hearers of your word, but doers of it. That we would fully embrace your word as you reveal your truth to us. And the Holy Spirit, uh, there's there's one word and there's one of you, but there are many of us. Your people, and we ask you to direct us, to lead us into truth, and to be our interpreter uh, today of your word, that we would receive it and understand it and apply it to our lives and live it out together. And we pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. amen. So we're going to be in Exodus chapter thirty. We're going to start in verse seventeen. We're kind of uh, we are um, for 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 today we're going to come back to it but we're skipping over verses 11 through 16 we're going to come back to that the reason for that is uh that the last couple weeks we've been focusing on prayer and because and that spawned out of um of looking at the uh, the tabernacle and uh the the design that God has given here for there to be an altar of incense and the incense the burning of the incense is associated in a it gives a symbolic representation of of the prayers of God's people and so we've been spending the last few weeks talking about prayer last week uh, focus was praying in the spirit as the scriptures call us to do and I, I just there there's some things here in verses 17 through 33 that lend itself to a discussion that uh, goes right along with praying in the Spirit, and that is walking in the Spirit. Um, the two uh, go hand in hand. If we're a people, if we're going to be a people who pray in accordance with the will of God, then we need to be a people who walk in accordance with the will of God. And so that's what we're going to look at today. In um, uh, hopefully um, the the what we're going to look at here, the, the springboard for that discussion is, is what the priests are called to here. Aaron and his sons, as they're consecrated to God and the things of the tabernacle are consecrated to God. Uh, we're going to take a little bit of a look at what is it that Aaron and his sons were called to and, uh, and then see the correlation between that and what we as followers of Christ are called to. So let's look at Exodus chapter 30, starting verse 17. Now, keep in mind if you haven't if you haven't been uh, um, following with us through the this uh, we've been working our way all through Exodus, and if you haven't been following along with this, um, one of the things to keep in mind is that that what is happening in Exodus number one, um, Exodus is like the Old Testament gospel. It it is about God saving His people. And it foreshadows something even greater than God saving His people out of slavery in Egypt. It, it is a foreshadowing of Christ saving people out of slavery to sin and death. And so, 
so that's one thing to keep in mind. The other thing to keep in mind is that, especially as we're looking at the tabernacle and the things that are in the tabernacle and the courtyard and, and uh, the things that the priests are called to and the ceremonies and stuff, that these are earthly representations of heavenly realities and truths. So Hebrews Hebrews uh, says that these things are, are are a representation of some pretty profound spiritual things that God is doing, and so there's a lot of symbolism in here as well. So let's look at Exodus chapter thirty, verse seventeen. The Lord said to Moses, "You shall also make a basin of bronze, and with its stand of bronze for washing." You shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it, with which Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet. When they go into the tent of meeting, or when they come near the altar to minister, to burn a food offering to the Lord, they shall wash with water, so that they may not die. They shall wash their hands and their feet so that they may not die. So we have that repeated there. It shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and to his offspring throughout uh, their generations. Uh, now, this is not like uh, uh, like the, the latest CDC recommendation here or something like that. Um, but this is this is God. This isn't about about cleanliness per se. Um at least not in the way that we typically think of washing one's hands. Um, this is not just about getting germs off here or something, though I, I don't know, God may have had something in mind in that regard. But the, really the focus here is that the priests conduct themselves in a way of reverence and purity, a, a cleansing of the inside. In fact, that's kind of something, a theme that actually goes through, especially the New Testament. And when we, when we look at baptism... That it, that when we talk about like baptism, the cleansing, that, that, that's a representation of something that God is doing. The water in and of itself is just wet. The water in and of itself is just water. But the power of that is in representing what the spiritual reality of what God is doing. And the, the, this, this, um, practice of the priest having to, uh, Wash here in this bronze basin is a reminder of of them approaching God and and conducting themselves in service to Him out of out of reverence, out of fear of the Lord, out of a desire to to walk in a pure way before Him. And this is a uh, something that that God says is to be put in place and passed on from generation to generation of those in the lineage of priests that will be serving Him. Look at verse 22. The Lord said to Moses, Take the finest spices of liquid myrrh, 500 shekels, and of sweet-smelling cinnamon, half as much, that is 250, and 250 of aromatic cane, and 500 of acacia, of acacia, um, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and a hen of olive oil. And you shall make of these a sacred anointing oil, blended as by the perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. With it you shall anoint the tent of meeting and the ark of the, co- uh, of the testimony and the table and all its utensils and the lampstand and its utensils and the altar of incense and the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils and the basin and its stand. So all the things that we've been uh, looking at um, here as we've gone through Exodus and the, the construction, the design of the tabernacle, 
God says that this, there's a special oil that is to be made and the purpose of this oil, then we find out uh, here um, right after this in verse 29, you shall consecrate them that they may that they may be most holy. So the oil is to be used in consecrating these things to the purposes of God. That they are set apart for Him. Service to Him. That they are made holy and set apart for Him. But there's more. It's not just the, the tabernacle. It's not just the stuff in the courtyard that is to be set apart for Him. But it's something even beyond that. You shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. And you shall say to the people of Israel, this shall be my holy anointing oil throughout your generations. It shall not be poured on the body of an ordinary person and you shall not, and you shall make no other like it, like it in composition. It is holy and it shall be holy to you. Whoever compounds any like it or whoever puts any of it on an outsider shall be cut off from his people. This oil was to be used in consecrating things to the purposes of God. It wasn't to be used, and God makes it clear, this was not to be used for the personal agendas of the people themselves. This was to be used in setting things apart for God. And so even Aaron and his sons were to be anointed with this oil as a means of setting them apart as belonging to God. Their purpose in this world uh, rested upon the will of God and the purposes of God. And so they're to live uh, in a way that reflects that. So, so when we talk about here, when, when God's uh, talking about setting apart Aaron and his sons as priests, this is not just a setting them apart so that when they're in the tabernacle, they're set apart for God. This is a setting, part, setting apart of, of, uh, of a whole uh, family tree here and the family tree find their, their significant role and purpose in Israel in the way that they are called specifically to serve God and to serve the people. They are set apart for this. And so that when you, we get down there and God says, hey, don't be, this isn't just for the ordinary person. Um, this isn't, this isn't like a holier than thou thing. This is a, hey, this this is for setting things apart for my purpose, for my glory. This, this isn't for uh, dressing up the stuff that you want to accomplish or, or setting yourself apart uh, to, to make yourself stand out in a crowd or whatever, whatever your purposes might be. This is only for the purposes of setting things apart for His glory. Now, the, 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 the reality here is that these priests were called to, to be set apart Always. It wasn't like just when they show up for duty in the tabernacle, that's when they need to be consecrated to God. So like when they clock in, cool, I've been anointed with that oil that consecrates me for that role when I clock in. But when I clock out, it's my time. They are set apart to God, their whole person. The purpose of their life set apart to Him. Now this, um, you can begin to see the correlation to 
the, the time and place that we live. Jesus Christ having, having been sent from the Father to give His life for sinners. That everyone who believes in Him would become a child of God by faith in His, in Him. That only through Him can we, um, be made right with the Father. And so by faith then, we're made children of God. That means the whole of who you are has changed. You, you belong to God. You have been adopted, the scriptures say, into His family if you are a follower of Christ. If you have placed your faith in Him, you belong to Him now. You are set apart to Him. In fact, Peter goes so far as to say in, in his epistle that you are a royal priesthood. You are the representatives of God, the ambassadors of God in a world that needs to hear Him. In a world that needs to be drawn to Him. In, in a world that has a sin problem that can only be addressed uh, at, at the, the altar of the cross where Christ gave His blood for them. And so we, like the priests were called to do here in Exodus, we need to walk in a way that is worthy of the calling that we've been given. The priests were to walk worthy of this calling. And we are to walk worthy of this calling. In fact, the the Bible uses this kind of language um, of walking. And... uh, just so we can put some kind of a working definition to it, I want to give you this. The, the Bible, in fact, the New Testament quite a lot, um, speaks of walking when it, when it, as it relates to our Christian life, our life in Christ. So walk means to direct, purpose, regulate, and conduct yourself. So when we apply that to walking as a follower of Christ, or specifically today, um, walking in the Spirit, it means that we um, that we direct, purpose, regulate, and conduct ourselves according to the will of God the Holy Spirit. That He is the one who directs us. That He is the one that we're submitted to. Romans chapter 8, verse 4 actually says that, um, that we are to walk according to the Spirit. It goes beyond just the, uh, just the intellect of kind of knowing what you need to do to the whole of who we are being surrendered to Him. Remember we talked about last week, Jesus said that uh, the God of Spirit and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. God desires the whole of who we are to be engaged in our life with Him. Galatians chapter 5. In fact, turn there with me. Galatians chapter 5 verse 16. So Romans uh, chapter 8, we see that language of walking in the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, there's, there's four different ways um, that, that the Apostle Paul uh, talks about this. or four different phrases that he uses for the same thing here. 
So verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit. Okay, hold on. So we see the but there, right? So that means there's there's something that Paul has said that correlates with what he's saying now. So what is it that Paul has been saying that correlates with what he's now saying about walking in the Spirit? Back up to verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So, so Paul says here, you've, you've been uh, set free from, from the law that would condemn you through the grace of Jesus Christ. You now walk in that freedom, but don't use that freedom for your selfish gain. And in so doing, you end up dividing the people, the family of God over your squabbling and selfish pursuits, but rather use your freedom now to exercise the love of Christ in your relationships with one another. And so, rather than, than, uh, than biting and devouring one another, I say walk by the Spirit. And if you do that, you won't be fulfilling the desires of your sinful nature, your, the flesh within you, but you will be actually... Um, living in accordance with the Holy Spirit. Verse 17, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. So we can't both walk um, according to the desires of, of sinfulness in us and according to the will of God. We can't do both of those at the same time. In fact, in, in 1 John, uh, I would say that, that John would probably, um, he says this in a little bit different way. He said, if you, if you say you love God and you don't love one another, you're lying. You, you don't belong to Him. The love of God is not in you. Verse, so uh, continuing on here, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Now this is kind of a double-edged comment that Paul makes because the desires of the flesh keep wanting, uh, they're, they're, they're uh, working to keep us from doing what is in accordance with the will of God and the Holy Spirit is at work within us to uh, cause us to not go the direction of fulfilling and gratifying those sinful desires within us. Verse 18, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, if if these are things that characterize your life, the Bible says you, you better take a real hard look at whether you belong to God or not because the evidence is suggesting you don't. In which case, um, Apostle Paul is saying here, you, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
So if, if we're going to be a people who live according to the desires of the flesh, um, we're living like a people who don't belong to Christ. And we ought not to think that we are going to inherit the promises that Christ gives if we are not a people living in accordance with that, not exhibiting that we actually believe Him and love Him. But, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So he says, walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit that's mentioned there in verses 22 and 23 have everything to do with what he just said right before all this, and that is love and serve one another. The fruit, so the fruit of the Spirit, when we talk about the evidence that the Holy Spirit, that we are walking in the Holy Spirit, the fruit of that gets played out in our relationships with one another. That's where we see the fruit of the Spirit bearing out. Look at the fruit of the Spirit. It's love, it's joy, it's peace, it's patience, it's kindness, it's goodness, it's faithfulness, it's gentleness, it's self-control. These are all things that have to do with the way that we relate, interact with one another, the way that we love and serve one another as the family of God. And so when we talk about walking in the Spirit, we're talking about um, walking in the love of Christ. We're talking about loving others with Christ's love and having that be evidenced through us. Now there's, um, there's several places in, in the New Testament especially here that we're going to look at. Just do a real quick reference here. But that where, where Scripture uses this terminology of walking as it relates to our, our, um, our Christian life. And specifically here, we've been looking at places that use the term of walking in the Spirit. But there are several other passages that use this term of walking. And, uh, and the things that it lists out there, um, the, the phrases that are used, give us um, a helpful understanding to what the phrase walking in the Spirit means. Because it gives us a few different vantage points of what it means to walk with Christ. Alright, so in Ephesians, we have, we're, uh, to walk in Christ's good works. In fact, in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it says, Christ saved you, but to do some good stuff. Verse 10. So we're saved from something into something. We're to walk in Christ's good works. We're to walk worthy of Christ. We're to walk in Christ's love. We're to walk as God's children. We're to walk in God's wisdom. So remember, this means that we're to regulate and conduct our lives as if we belong to God in a way that is worthy of what Christ has done for us. In Colossians, says that and you'll see some repetition in here, and uh, I just chose rather than to to uh, kind of lump them together. I just I, I just thought it's great for us to see this repetition in here. So in Colossians, we're to walk worthy of Christ. We're to walk in Christ. We're to walk in God's wisdom. In First Thessalonians, we're to walk worthy of Christ. We keep seeing that show up, don't we? We're to walk worthy of Christ. We're to walk with a, this desire and purpose to please God. 
We're to walk in Christ's love towards others. 1 John, we're to walk in the truth. We're to walk in obedience to Christ. We're to walk in Christ's love towards others. That shows up again. Second John, of course, um, uh, John is kind of sometimes known as the apostle of, of love because of how much emphasis he puts on loving one another. Second John, we're to walk in the truth. We're to walk in obedience to Christ as we love others. Third John, we are to walk in the truth. Interesting, uh, interestingly enough, as we get to the, uh, we look at the Gospel of John, we see this walking in the truth show up again, right? Um, in fact, three times um, where we we are um, uh, told to walk in the truth, which is uh, for us to be walking by faith in the sacrifice of Christ, knowing that it is He who saves us, that we walk in that truth. That we live in that. In Acts, um, there's a passage in Acts uh, chapter nine, verse thirty-one, and uh, it's it's really cool. So, um, what in that passage, um, there is walking in the fear of the Lord and walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And the context of that is that uh, the Apostle Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament here, um, he he was known as Saul at one point. And he was also known, even more than his name brought with it terror, because he was the main persecutor of the church. So if you were a follower of Jesus, um, Saul saw it as his sort of uh, righteous duty to root you out. Well, the church um, was suffering under persecution of the persecution of Saul. And um, and then Jesus got a hold of Saul. Now, when we talk about people having a come to Jesus moment, this is literally um, uh, one of those moments where actually more of like a Jesus came to him moment, um, which is probably a better description of our come to Jesus moments, right? Um, and and Saul became a follower of Christ, and in so doing. Um, the, the church was relieved of this, at least this one person who was so dedicated. He was a very zealous guy at his job of persecuting followers of Christ. And so having now become a follower of Christ, the church was beginning to experience this sort of uh, time of, of, of peace and they were building of building up. And it says in chapter 9, verse 31, that they were walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit and that they were multiplying. The church was growing because they were walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. In Romans, we have walking by faith in God and walking the new life in Christ. So all these things that are actually tied to the idea of walking in the Spirit. Now we want to be a people who... Um, I, I don't know. I, I think you agree with me. I don't want to speak for you, but I don't want to waste my time. I don't... Okay, let me be clear. I have wasted my time and I periodically do on occasion waste my time. What I mean is my life 
God has given me these, these days here in this body with this mind, breathing this air for His purposes. And I don't want to waste that. I don't know how long my time is here. You don't know how long your time is here. But He put us here for a purpose. To bring Him glory and to further His kingdom and to draw near to Him and walk in fellowship with Him. To know Him. So I don't want to squander my time that I have. I don't want to waste it. I don't want to waste my my prayers. Do you know that the Bible actually says in a couple of places that... Um, that, that there's a real opportunity that, that God may not even be listening to you. Have you run across that? There's a couple of places that actually speak to that. In, in 1 John, he talks about um, uh, that if we pray according to His will, we know He hears us. And if we know He hears us, then we know that He's going to give us the things that we ask for. The implication is, wait, there's a flip side. If we pray not in accordance with the will of God, we're praying out for selfish things, why should we expect that He's going to listen? And why should we expect He's going to answer? James actually spells it out pretty clearly, which James is... Uh, uh, you know, you appreciate James. He's just the guy who's just blunt about it. Right? He just says it the way it is. James chapter 4 Verses 1 through 4, he says, you don't have because you don't ask. And you don't, uh, and, and, and so there's the one part is, you, you don't have, you're not receiving from God because you're not asking. But then he says, but then the thing you don't receive because the things you're asking for are, are selfish. They're, they're all about you. And so you're not, you're not receiving anything from God even when you do ask because you're just, Concerned about yourself. You're not concerned about the will of God. So we ought not expect that God is listening to us and taking us seriously when we're just concerned about our selfish desires and pursuits and not concerned about His will. One thing that really I think should, should cause, um, should cause us men especially to, to pause for a moment is when, when, uh, Peter actually talks about, um, Prayers being hindered. In First Peter chapter three, verse seven, I'll read that to you. You might want to, men, you might want to turn there and put a put a little dog ear on this one. Peter says, "Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel." Now, this term that a weaker vessel isn't just a, a way of saying of God saying, "Now they're fragile, watch out," you know, they're breakable. It's actually a way of saying they're a treasure. You take care of your wife because they are a God-given treasure. What would you do with a treasure? Something of high value. You would take care of it. You, you wouldn't abuse it. You wouldn't ignore it. You, you, you would take care of it. And so Peter here says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a as a treasure since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered husbands do you realize that when when you mistreat your wife when you uh, are walking in a way where you're not loving her with the love of Christ it hinders 
you being heard by God, it hinders God responding to your prayers. We want to be a people who when we pray, God hears us. And then when God hears us, that He answers our prayers. So we need to be a people who walk with Him day by day. Now there are a few, um, there are three things that, um, that I'd like to share with you that are characteristics of the person who walks in the Spirit. And these are three things that need to be characteristics of our life. I think we have it here for you. The person who walks according to the Spirit, one, um, is submission. Submission to Christ. In other words, uh, one question you might ask yourself here is, uh, who's Lord of your life? Who gets the final say? Who's the final authority um, with what you decide to do, speak, think about, entertain yourself with? Who gets the final say about what goes and doesn't go? Is it you? Is it your culture? Is it the experts? Um, who is it that gets the final say in your world? Because as the people of God, that should be God Himself. If we are followers of Christ, then Christ is our Lord. And we submit to His authority, which means He has the final say. He is the one that we look to for direction. We recognize He is the only one who laid His life down for us. And so He's the only one who is worthy of our lives. So submission. Second thing is obedience. Obedience is an expression of love and trust. That's why Jesus said, if you love Me, you will obey Me. It's an expression of love and trust. Is your life evidencing your love and trust in Christ through your obedience to His commands. When we look, uh, if you were, uh, um, it's, it's kind of convicting when we think about it this way, but um, you've probably heard it said that if you were put on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence in your life to convict you of that? When people take a hard look at your life, would it be easy to say, oh yeah, he's guilty, she's guilty. I hope so. But are we walking in obedience to Christ? And the third one is faith. Who do we rely on? Who are we relying on to make it into heaven? Are you spinning your wheels really hard trying to do enough good things that hopefully you make it in? It's not going to be enough. If you're relying on yourself, it's not going to be enough. Who are you relying on for your wisdom? Who are you relying on to satisfy the deep desires of your soul? We need to rely on the Lord. If we are a people who walk according to the Spirit, we are going to be a people characterized by submission to His authority in our life. 
We are going to be a people characterized by obedience to His commands and a people characterized by faith in Him. That we trust fully in Him. We don't want to be a people who have our prayers hindered by our selfish pursuits. We want to be a people who live worthy of this calling we've been given. I can't... There, there is no other gift ever throughout the history of the world that compares with the gift that God has given us in Jesus Christ. God sent His Son, His one and only Son, whom He loved, to lay His life down for you and I so that we would become children of God. To pay the price, to, to pay the judgment and wrath against our sin that we would be called the children of God. How do we then accept that, embrace that, and then go about living our lives as if it's totally ours to live? This is my life to do with what I want. And then we check in with God like, God, I need some stuff. Um, Like Daddy Warbucks, show up. God, I need an allowance. need some stuff. And then we jet out to do our own thing again. As if God is obligated to meet our needs now because you know we call ourselves a Christian. We need to be a people who take our lives seriously that Christ died for us and we now need to live worthy of Him. This takes some real effort on our part, but here's the beautiful thing. Walking in the Spirit isn't just about this, this, this sort of duty to uh, conduct ourselves in a certain way, but Jesus said, I'm going to send you a helper. Who's the helper? The helper is the Holy Spirit. Oh, this is awesome. So I hope you can see this tie-in. Do you remember there's this passage that gets quoted all over the place? It's like on memes all over the place. Uh, in the old days, it was on posters. It's like, so... Uh, Philippians 4.13. Right? You can say it with me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Do you know what the Apostle Paul is talking about? The context there? Paul is saying, in, in the context, Paul is, is like, life is really hard. I've gone through a lot of hardships because I've committed myself to following Christ and living for His glory. And I've had to go through a lot of hard things. But there is nothing that can derail me. There is nothing that can prevent me from fulfilling my call in Christ because it's Christ who strengthens me and equips me and enables me to do it. So it doesn't matter what what circumstances are. It doesn't matter what hardship or suffering I may have to go through and face. There, there is nothing that can, that can throw me off course from fulfilling that which God has called me to because it's Christ who strengthens me to do it. So it's not about you following your American dreams. Like you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Go for it, church. Believe in yourself. This is about you living out the life God has called you to. Living worthy of Him. And there's nothing that can prevent you from doing that because it is He who equips you to do that. God, Jesus said, I'm leaving you, but I'm, giving, I'm sending a helper when I leave. And it's going to be He who teaches you and equips you, helps you. And so God has not only called us to walk in a certain way, He has given us His Spirit residing with us and in us, working through us to help us live the life He's called us to. 
So God saved us by His strength, and now He preserves us by His strength. That's a pretty beautiful thing. I mean, that, that is, uh, um, we, we are getting the very easy side of this equation, I hope you're seeing. God saved us by His work, and now He preserves us by His work. Our, our job is just like staying, as we talked about um, uh, in, in, in praying in the Spirit, is staying in the current. That's our job. Put ourselves in the place where we can walk in accordance with His will, and He will work in and through us to accomplish His desire and His will. We can trust in Him to do that. I want to close with this, Ephesians, uh, back to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. As the, uh, as the Apostle Paul writes to the, the church in Ephesus there, he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which you have been called. So as we talk about, you know, the, the priests in Exodus chapter 30, they were to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that had been placed on them. As believers in Christ, we are to walk worthy of what Christ has done for us. We are to walk in the Spirit. So he says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We're an eclectic bunch. We come from a lot of different places. We've had a lot of different experiences. We've got a lot of different struggles. We've got a lot of different challenges. But there is one body that belongs to Him. One family called by His name. There is one Savior. We have one faith in one common Savior. There is one Holy Spirit who works in and through each one of us. As diverse as we are from one another, there is one Spirit who binds us together working towards fulfilling this calling in Christ that we have. We are united in Him. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. And my encouragement to you, church, is in these days, um, Sage mentioned that it being hard to, to trust often. It's hard to trust because we so often see falsehood. That's one of the reasons it's so hard to trust. We need to be a people where there's no falsehood in us. When we say we love Jesus, we mean it and then we live it out. When we say we want to please God and honor Him, that we commit our lives to doing so. That we're not something different on Wednesday afternoon or Friday night than we are on Sunday morning. That what you see here is what you get any day of the week. Pluck me out of any hour of any day and this is the person I am. That that is who we are in Christ. That moment by moment we walk in the Spirit of God. Relying on Him, trusting in Him, clinging to Him. That's our call, church. And I think we have a tremendous opportunity right now in the world in which we live and even in the, the microcosm of our community itself. We have a tremendous opportunity to affect the world around us 
to the glory of God. And I hope that you will join with me in doing that. I just want to encourage you in that. We have one Lord who empowers us to work together at this. So stay in there. Keep at it. And if you you may be in a place where um, maybe you've been really working kind of hard to live a life acceptable to God and you're finding it, finding it extremely frustrating, um, there is a level of frustration that comes with that as we struggle. As Paul says, uh, there's that flesh part of us that's always seeking to kind of uh, cut the knees out of what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our life. But beyond that, uh, if, if you just feel like you can't ever get any traction when it comes to straightening up your life and living in accordance with the will of God, um, I, I would like to suggest to you that maybe you really haven't surrendered your life to Him. Maybe you're still um, kind of focused in on you doing this yourself. And I want to encourage you to give your life to Christ. To say, uh, Lord Jesus, you be my Lord from here on out. You, you've forgiven me of my sins. And, and I thank you for that. And I want you to have the control of my life from here on. That I follow your lead on this. Um, f- funny story to tie this in. Uh, so before, before I was married, I had this theory. Um, and, and it actually played out quite well for me. Uh, I had this theory that I like to swing dance. Um, I don't do it so well now, and I wear, I just tire out pretty quick now. That's kind of hard work. I don't know if you've swing danced lately, but it's a lot harder than it is when you're like 20. Um, so, so anyways, I had this theory that after dancing, getting an opportunity to dance with, with several ladies, that um, some of them were quite hard to dance with because they, they wanted to lead for me, do my job. And, and I had this theory that if I could find a woman who would actually just let me lead, I may be onto something there. This may be the one, right? Well, uh, Ginny and I are fabulous dancers together, I don't mind <laughs> telling you. And uh, it's because she trusts me to lead. Um, and, uh, but, uh, the Lord wants to lead. And, uh, I can tell you having had dance partners that want to lead, two people leading a dance does not work. In fact, on one occasion, I was swing dancing and, uh, I don't, I don't remember what the moves are called, but all I know is, is I had her in a spot where I was, not Jenny, thankfully, but she, it was one of those that kind of wants to help lead for you, you know? And I was trying to bring her under my elbow like this and, and she spins out of it and, and she was doing something different and I just clocked her with my pointy elbow right between the eyes. And she's just, um, I lost a dance partner. And, uh, but God wants us to be a people who are led by Him, who let Him lead, who don't fight Him for that control in our life. And I want to encourage you to hand that over to Him and let Him lead, because He's going to lead you into good places. Lord, we thank You for, for this uh, truth. And we ask that You would help us to live it out. We ask that You would... That you would uh, teach us more and more each day what it means to walk in your spirit, to to submit to you, to obey you, um, Lord, to to trust you, and Lord, for those who perhaps have been on that, been wrestling and getting no traction at 
at uh, feeling like they're drawing near to you or walking away pleasing to you, Lord, I help, ask that you would help them to give the complete control of their life over to you, that they would submit to your Lordship and let you take the lead. Uh, Lord, we, we thank you so much for what you've done for us, that you would love us so much that you would give your life for us. And Lord, as we come to our time of communion together, Lord, we, we just want to thank you that you have loved us so much that you were willing to die for us, that you were willing to endure so much shame and scorn for us, that even while we were still sinners, you died for us, even while we were still enemies of God in our heart, that you laid your life down for us to save us. So, Lord, we we ask that you would be glorified that you would find us a people worthy of your sacrifice. In Jesus' name, amen.